Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban, and today we're joined by two guests from the Vermont Department of Public Service, which is not part of healthcare per se, but they belong here. They understand fraud acronyms. I chose not to delve into their many years of battle with the Department of Public Safety for ownership of the DPS acronym. That's a story for another time. Instead, we're discussing broadband infrastructure. I'm Clay Purvis. I'm the Director for Telecommunications and Connectivity for the uh, Department of Public Service. Hi, Helen. Uh, my name is Rob Fish. I'm the state of Vermont's Rural Broadband Technical Assistance Specialist. I'm working with communities around the state to form communication union districts and to bring broadband internet to their community. I realize Rob sounds a little bit like he's being attacked by whispering elves. I apologize. I'm an amateur podcaster. Some things aren't perfect. Now, in several earlier episodes of Policy and Planner English, we've described charts. Talking about broadband infrastructure, that combines describing a chart with describing a map. Combining these two things on audio does not make for a better plot line, I'll warn you right now. We'll link resources in the show notes so you can see what we're briefly describing. Let's start with a little bit on internet speeds. There are various definitions of broadband. One definition is the federal definition of broadband. This is what the FCC has determined as the most basic broadband that people can use or need to get through daily life. That's characterized as broadband at 25 megabits per second down, 3 megabits per second up. So that's your download speed and your upload speed. We have 25.3 service to about 77% of the state's location. So that leaves 23% of the state that has either no broadband or broadband that lacks what the, the federal government considers sufficient broadband. That doesn't tell quite the whole story. There's broadband for everyday life that might include multiple people using up bandwidth at once at home with various activities. But for telehealth, you technically need one person to connect for a discrete amount of time, and for some applications of telehealth, you don't need a live video. For that reason, some estimates of the minimum capacity needed for telehealth are more in the range of 8.2 than the 25.3 standard. As recently as this fall, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology felt that 4.1 was viable, which frankly seems implausible. But at that standard, 93% of Vermont building locations would be covered. Looking at the lowest threshold for connection might be the best way to bring everyone into the telehealth access fold. Except that internet speed can be capricious. Top capacity isn't always what you get to your home at a given moment. And besides that, as what we try to transmit changes, and as more activities use up bandwidth, what was good enough five years ago suddenly isn't sufficient. That's why the state wants to overbuild, not underbuild. Their goal is 100 megabits per second down, 100 megabits per second up, starting with places that currently have nothing. Um, the state has a goal of ensuring that everyone has uh, 100 megabits per second symmetrical service statewide by the year 2024. We're 17% of the way there. We have a little way to go, and that's a nice goal. But without significant funding, we're really looking at what can we do uh, to fill in gaps here and there to bring adequate broadband service to people that really don't have anything. So we have a small grant program. We have a few other programs. They're really designed to map locations that uh, have broadband, don't have broadband, 
and focus our efforts on the locations that truly lack even basic broadband. That mapping of gaps shows up another problem with adequate internet access, beyond the problem of defining it. Those gaps, they're everywhere. Every town has got a few addresses that have no broadband, so there isn't a large pocket in one place or another where you could really focus all of your, your public resources to bringing broadband. You really have to have a solution for a dozen addresses in this town and a dozen addresses in that town uh, because they're all over the state. We've got a big infrastructure problem that acts more or less like the bishop's weed in my front garden. It's not in one neatly contained spot. It pops up all over the place, seemingly at random, and it takes devilish effort to eradicate. In fact, much like Bishop's Weed, there's precious little evidence that anyone in Vermont can ever solve the problem entirely. The Department of Public Service does have a statewide plan to cover the gaps, at a price tag of $300 million. In the meantime, there are some homegrown, community-focused options. That's where Rob comes in. Communication union districts are the municipal district formed when two or more communities get together to work on expanding broadband. Uh, there are currently six such districts in the state. We had 41 towns vote to create or join districts this past March. Uh, and these entities are getting organized. They're modeled off of EC Fiber, which has now connected over, I think it's closing in on 5,000 households to fiber, 100 by 100 uh, broadband access uh, in central Vermont. These are just a great way for communities to have a voice in what type of broadband is deployed in their community and to take action on something that's usually a top-down process. Part of the advantage of community-based effort is that it helps with all the elements of access, offering hotspots for people who may not be able to afford a home subscription, offering equipment for getting online at public places like libraries, offering workshops and assistance on digital literacy. During COVID-19, some of those options for bridging the divide fell apart, like getting access through the library, but others were expanded. In terms of short-term emergency solutions, we have been building out a network of Wi-Fi hotspots across the state. This is building on the work of the Digital Economy Project after Tropical Storm Irene about 10 years ago. We have, with the help of Microsoft and RTO and up and running computers, installed Wi-Fi hotspots in 35 different rural locations around the state and are looking at another 35 locations to build out a network for people to use if they have no access at home and if they have to social distance. It's not a perfect solution, it is an interim solution, but it is providing options in rural communities around the state. There's also renewed efforts to prevent costs from being a barrier to getting online. In this crisis, people need the internet more than ever, but they may have lost their job or they had their hours reduced. Uh, or they're experiencing some other kind of economic hardship made accessing the internet even more difficult. And then on top of that, you've taken away their ability to access the internet where they're used to accessing it, like the library, school, their place of employment. The carriers have by and large worked well with the FCC to reduce or eliminate some of those barriers. Some of the companies have offerings um, that provide uh, a very low-cost package to people who qualify, so a broadband that could be had for $10 or $14 a month. Carriers have increased their their offerings for the same price, so they, they've waived data cap. They've increased speeds for people, you know, with the understanding that people now need it. So that, that's been very helpful. And there's also federal grants and subsidies to help with connections, 
which we'll link in the show notes. We're clearly limited in what can be done to build out actual internet infrastructure on short notice. But that isn't impossible either, especially as you defined emergency access as happening over a year or more while we manage the virus. Public service is looking at proposals for quicker fixes, like targeted wireless expansion, partnerships with electric utilities, and sell-on-wheels, temporary cell sites. That's on the connectivity side of the line. On the telehealth side, we have our own strategies to manage access issues. Opening up audio-only telephone as an option for healthcare is one example of that. Prior to COVID-19, a lot of mitigating the impact of limited broadband access focused on building capacity for the telehealth strategies that don't require patients to have broadband at home. One example is e-consults, where it's the providers who are connecting remotely. Specialists give input to treatment plans for patients in primary care. These systems reduce unnecessary specialist visits, but they don't require any online access from the patients themselves. But of course, COVID-19 has interrupted those strategies too. For one thing, providers aren't working from offices right now, so home access is much more relevant to them. And we don't have the luxury of focusing on provider-to-provider access anyway. We have a state full of patients who need to get online. The, the issue of telehealth, I think, really hammers home for me the need for universal broadband because we've had these discussions both in the legislature and among executive branch agencies about, well, could we string a line to this patient and that patient for telehealth? Or could we get a telehealth grant to, you know, bring broadband just to patients? And I, I think it needs to be realized that we're all patients. Yeah, I think it's important for healthcare providers to realize that telehealth is here to stay and that they need to participate in these discussions about expanding broadband around the state. They're as much as stakeholders as people who are working from home, students that are trying to access their curriculum from their home, and it's going to take all hands on board in order to accomplish this in the state and achieve universal broadband, but it's become very obvious it's an essential service. It seems unquestionable that coming out of COVID-19, we'll see access to telecommunications as a critical part of access to healthcare. Yet another topic to explore in future episodes of the Policy in Plainer English podcast. We thank our sponsors at Northern County Healthcare for making this special season exploring telehealth during COVID-19 possible. (laughs) 